Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And today I'm really excited to be speaking to Tiffany North. And Tiffany is a registered nurse and she's an intuitive eating coach. Uh, she's also creator of the food attachment model and she's also a sober sister and she's been sober for quite a while that's right isn't it tiffany mm-hmm. since 1998 wow, uh, june so coming up mm-hmm. yeah so really welcome to you. it's lovely to have you on and um we're going to dive into all of those topics obviously um but just first of all just want to welcome you and, and do a little check-in see how how are you doing? Where are you calling in from? Yeah, so I'm in Portland, Oregon, uh, so the, the west coast of the state. And um, yeah, I'm doing okay. I, I think we were kind of connecting before this, and I was saying how it's been just such a roller coaster with everything happening in the world. And then I feel like everyone has a lot going on personally. Um, so in this moment, I'm feeling a little a little bit more centered, a little bit more optimistic, and I'm, of course, happy to be on. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're totally welcome. And you did mention to me, because we were talking about all things bandwidth and internet and stuff, obviously getting our tech situation sorted, and you did mention to me that you were in a wooden house. I'm quite intrigued about that. Are you like, are you by the sea? I'm not by the sea. This house is um, like a 1910 craftsman house. And typically back in the day, they used lath and plaster, which is, you know, skinny sticks and and plaster. But what I've discovered since moving in and and starting to do construction and renovation projects in the house is that the entire house, the insides of the walls are uh, about four inch wood slats. So floor to ceiling, the the even even throughout the ceiling there's the the solid wood <laughs> like slats and then um and then there's also like uh you know wainscoting and like wood floor so there's just like wood 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 it's <laughs> great insulation yeah. against the internet basically <laughs> it totally is and it's um it's really charming and it's really but it, it, it's super solid house but it creates uh challenges <laughs> for okay. sure and I'm really sorry I threw you a bit of a curveball then because basically obviously you want to get onto your sober story and then in my kind of sort of quite ADHD type brain I was like totally captured by the idea of you being in a wooden house I was like I literally can't think of anything else until I've kind of sorted that one out so <laughs> thanks thanks for going with me on that mm. um, so yeah since 1998 you said you've been alcohol free you've been and would you uh refer to yourself as being in recovery absolutely yeah I I I do refer to myself as sober typically um but I'm starting to shift the language to being in recovery um so alcohol and substance free but you know that's it's such a um it it has very specific meaning I think in people's minds and so um yeah so I don't I don't always talk about like how long I've been sober for or alcohol free. Um, I feel like there's significance there in, you know, stringing that time together, but I also don't want to diminish people who've had other experiences, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, what led you to the decision to be, to go alcohol free? Yeah. So um, I was a teenager and 
you know, drank like at family parties and things, you know, when I was like 10 years old. And then, um, and then as a teenager, I actually was kind of anti all of those things and then just dove head first into it. And so, uh, you know, my drinking was very, um, uh, I, I, I typically only drank if I could drink as much as I wanted. Um, and I would, you know, get blackout drunk as, as often as I could. And I also used other substances. And um, so the combination of like alcohol and amphetamines really landed me in treatment at a young age. Um, you know, I left home for a while. And when my parents found me, they were like, you know, would, would you go to treatment? And so I'm very privileged that I had access to treatment and, and you know, had parents who recognized, you know, pretty, pretty quickly that this was a serious problem. Um, so yeah, so I went to treatment and had a few returns to use after that, um, met, uh, my daughter's father while I was in treatment and ultimately got pregnant. So, uh, at a very young age, um, ended up having her when I was 18 and after she was born, I like, I liked the idea of being sober. And was trying to, but it was really a challenge for me. So I had a period about of about a week where I drank really heavily. And she, you know, she was only a couple months old at that point. And I remember one night I, well, one morning I woke up and she was no longer clothed. Like she was just, and it was summer, so it was fine. Um, but she just only had a diaper on. And I didn't remember taking off her clothes. Like she probably had a, you know, a like a blowout diaper. And I, just changed her in the night. Um, but that was a real awakening moment for me. Like, okay, I can't probably safely, you know, care for this infant if I'm drinking. And so I didn't get sober for her. It was more a, a wake up call of how bad my, you know, how, how bad my drinking really was. So from that point forward, I really committed to, you know, doing whatever I needed to do. And it just got, it got easier over time. And now I can't, I, I can't, I, I, I love my life the way it is so much that I can't imagine putting that at risk. Mm. And I don't feel the need to have alcohol or substances in my life to um, feel satisfied or, you know, um, enjoy life. So yeah, so it, it changed from like, you know, this tiny human is dependent on me and I am not <laughs> safe yeah. or dependable to, um, I just like life better this way. Mm. And yeah. And, and I guess because you'd been in rehab, there'd been a bit of that formative work being done, right? Some of the, some of the work had been done before you, you had her, um, I'm assuming. What did you do to kind of stay sober after she was born then? Yeah, I did go um, to AA and I was fortunate that there was a large young people's community here in Portland. So I got really involved with that. I had a really amazing sponsor, did the steps over and over and over. <laughs> uh, and I think more than anything, I committed to like working through the hard things and growing, like growing through the hard things and, and committing to healing and just like constantly to better myself and, you know, recognize that 
there was something I could do within me to, you know, impact my circumstances. Yeah. Mm. And what do you think the um, biggest area of personal growth has been? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think the biggest area of personal growth has really been recognizing that my, my value and my worth isn't tied to, it's not conditional. It's not tied to these external things, really healing my relationship with myself, um, work around shame and, you know, self-forgiveness work and, um, accepting all of my, you know, all of my faults, all of my nuances, all, you know, all, all the aspects of my, who I am and my personality. Um, and coming to a place of really appreciating, all, you know, all, the whole the whole being that I am. And that I re- really resonate with you when you say that. And I know that um, Tara Brack was very big for me. You know that kind of the self compassion work around, yeah, around her really helped me and looking at Dr. Kristen Neff's work around Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you have any specific resources that or your favorite writers or you know people um, or things that that helped you with that that informed that work for you in a way. Mm, That's an excellent question. Um, I'm starting to shift where I get my uh, where I get my like support in, in growth, but a lot of the work that I accessed back then, you know, tended to be, um, primarily like white women. (laughs) So, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to do some, you know, resources from both, um, both, you know, the people who helped me back then and then, and then like who I'm looking to now. Right. So, so back then I would say, you know, Brene Brown's work, you know, on shame was really helpful. Definitely Kristen Neff for for sure. Um, And it was interesting because I really had to, I had, this was actually, I had to kind of separate myself from AA because um, while it, it did help me tremendously in getting sober, I felt like there was, there was some kind of shaming, you know, shame-based recovery there. And so moving away from shame-based recovery and more into, um, groups, you know, groups like your group and, you know, and she recovers she and recovers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, that has been really powerful in my life now. I really love the book, The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. That's been really helpful. Um, Resma McKenna, um, My Grandmother's Hands is, is really powerful work. So somatic work. What else has been really helpful? The body-based move, you know, body-based work. I, I like now I go to um, the She Recovers uh, dance on Sundays. Oh, and. Gosh. Mm. Oh my gosh, just moving my body with a group of other people who are also just really trying to focus on healing. Mm. Things like that are what's really powerful for me today. So, mm. so it's again, yeah, that's sort of a not so much a knowledge base or reading based, but um so it's like that um co-regulating um, you know, animal to animal <laughs> almost thing that we do as humans, right? And vibe yeah. together, wire together. Is that uh, would I be right in saying that's yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and I mean you know there's there's books that 
are really um, commonly utilized in recovery, like codependent no more, things like that. So, you know, it was interesting. It was kind of, I started out with um, more heady, heady work and more focusing on, um, you know, behavior patterns and, and those kinds of things. And now I've moved much more to like, how do I move through the world and what kind of resource, you know, what kind of community support do I have? Yeah. 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 I find that really interesting because I, I, again, that resonates with me of, about a lot. I was very cerebral. There's a lot of trying to get that head knowledge, that understanding this behavior. And the, the more I go, I practice a lot of yoga and no, I get different layers of nuances of how to experience the world more from a sensory point of view um yeah and an embodied point of view even when the words point of view is not right that that embodied sense of of being um and that that's quite recent you know I'd say that's definitely in the last like three to four years for me um and that's my biggest joy that's like freaking playground like how could I ever get bored being in my body in the world like that's super exciting to me so and I didn't even know I was cut off from it so um yeah and I guess you know this kind of segues doesn't it into then this this piece about food because if we're talking about the body and such fundamental ways that we feed ourselves nourish ourselves keep ourselves alive I wonder if that this is a good yeah a good time to to ask you about that you know and about intuitive eating and what and that piece yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, for me, challenges with food predated my alcohol and substance challenges. And in recovery, uh, I found my, my issues with food got even worse. Um, there's a lot of diet culture messaging that really contributed to that, this idea that you should restrict or, you know, there's something wrong with you or your body. Um, and so, healing in my relationship with my body. I think for people in who struggle with alcohol and substances, um, there's a really high prevalence of disordered eating and, and, and eating disorders. And again, you know, if we're looking at like, why did we, why do we have these challenges in the first place? Shame, you know, adverse childhood experiences, uh, you know, growing up in, um, chaotic environments, all of these kinds of things. And being told that there's something kind of wrong with us, right? Like that shame idea that there's something wrong with who you are or how you show up in the world. All of those things make it really hard to be in your body. It makes it feel really unsafe. And so creating a relationship with yourself where you do feel safe in your body uh, is really important and really helpful in terms of healing your relationship with food. So in a relationship with food, a lot of times we're trying to, we're using food as a way to control or manage our body. We're trying to, um, you know, restrict diet, be thin. We're trying to um, feel like, it's it's interesting because um, feel like we're doing it right uh, or feel this sense of safety around like, okay, I'm eating healthy. That means that everything's okay. That means, you know, there's nothing I'm good. I'm, I'm working on what's that. I'm being good as well. Like, yeah. I'm being I'll good, be good yeah. today. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's this very like external um, achievement based, you know, good, bad thinking. 
Mm-hmm. And and not based on, you know, how being in our bodies, being connected with our bodies, letting our body be the guide for how, when, what, why we eat. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so it's very interconnected for me. And kind of like you were saying, there's this shift that happened. I think as I did a lot of the shame work, as I um, started to see, it makes me really unhappy to move through the world, trying to like appease everyone else. And, you know, I did a lot of work around yeah, people pleasing and boundaries and, and all of those things. And it started to feel safer to be in my body. So when I was introduced to the concept of intuitive eating, this concept that we, we don't base what we eat on a list of, you know, shoulds or shouldn'ts, but instead base it on what's happening with my body. What do I need? How does this feel in my body? Um, how, you know, what kind of nurturance do I need today? Mm. It was like the thing I'd been waiting for my whole life. <laughs> uh, and because I'd done all this pre-work, I was really able to just, you know, dive right in. And it was a relatively, I mean, it was still, you know, challenging and there were still mm. painful parts, but it was relatively easeful experience to transition into um, this kind of different way of relating to food and relating to my body. Mm. So for people listening and thinking, oh, you know, well, how do I, how do I do it? How do you do it? Yeah. Yeah. How to intuitively eat. Um, Well, number one thing is having, so I have, I have five A's. So this is kind of my actionable. um, So it's awareness allowing acceptance and those two, sometimes it's acceptance and then allowing um, acknowledgement and then action question mark. And so awareness is really bringing that, bringing curiosity and a judgment-free zone to like, what's actually happening for me and my body right now. You know, why doesn't it feel safe to be connected to my body? What are all the shoulds that I have around food um, around, you know, um, my body, you know, thinking my body is, good or bad or whatever. And then, so bringing awareness to the patterns, the behaviors, bringing awareness to what's actually happening in your body in that moment, having acceptance over that. So this is who I am in this moment. This is what's happening in my body. You know, even if it feels uncomfortable in my body, like I can accept that this is, you know, this is a sensation that I'm experiencing right now. It's not good or bad. Allowing, so really sitting with what is, um, not trying to control or manage it, just like, okay, this is what is going on for me right now. Acknowledgement, so thanks body for, you know, carrying all of these experiences, all these sensations. Um, I hear you, I see you. Thank you for, um, you know, bringing me to where I am in this moment. Also acknowledgement around like, this just is what it is, right? So like naming, this is like, I feel, when I feel angry at my mom, you know, I go to the fridge, (laughs) right? Or whatever it is. Um, So then we take the information that we receive by really being in tune with our body. And from that, we honor it. So I say action, question mark, and then like honoring. Sometimes it's simply letting yourself feel the feelings that are coming up. Sometimes it's setting a boundary. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's something an action we actually need to take. So that's the tool that I use to really start to break down how, how to, um, how to begin to have that relationship with your body. 
but we really have to titrate it. So if you are someone who, you know, has a lot of chronic pain or you're someone who's, you know, brand new sober um, and you're suddenly feeling everything, you know, you just kind of feel like agitated, right? And so we want to be really gentle with this process, get support if we need to, but starting to ease in to like checking in with my body, seeing what's happening, what's present for me, um, and, and beginning to ease into making choices based on mm. what my body is telling me rather than, um, the, the list of shoulds. Cause that list of shoulds is going to feel real safe. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was just thinking then about, and I love that model, by the way, that makes real sense to me. And it sounds, it feels very much like at that compassionate inquiry kind of process, you know, to land and to, to be present. Right. Um, well, I have a question in that I know that for me, I know that when stress starts to climb, I definitely have that. I, I suddenly realize I'm quite controlling around food, right? So it's a way, way to control. But I often always think as well, we are sort of wired for scarcity and with the overabundance of everything and all the crap and all of the stuff and all of the information it's like where yeah where do we where can we start with that um to make it feel more safe I think I think yeah a good starting point yeah so uh so trauma healing so I look at challenges with food in our body as 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 trauma and to me trauma is like unhealed wounds um and really, I think it's an attachment rupture, which is, you know, that's kind of clinical language, but we can go into that uh, if you want to. But, um, but what we're trying to do is heal this wound that we have. And so with trauma healing, the process is first, we have to establish safety and resource the body. And then as we do that, we can start to metabolize, you know, grieve, feel the things that are really, uh, feel that wound, right? Like work through that wound. And then the last step is integration. And basically what happens is at the beginning, you've got a really small container and then this kind of wound that's taking up most of the space, right? Yeah. And then as you resource your body, feel more safe. And then we go into that metabolization of it. We have a bigger container. So that's why now we can start to a bigger capacity for this, Mm -hmm. right? We can start to really work through that wound. And then the last phase is that integration. We've got this like big container. We're very resourced and the wound is smaller and it's just like a piece of who we have been, Mm. right? And uh, an experience that we've had, but it doesn't take up so much space Mm. anymore. It's not so central. And so really starting with that resourcing the body, that establishing safety. And so ways to do that are things like, um, you know, learning how to regulate yourself, right? So, so meditation, going for a walk, co-regulation with others, um, uh, getting, you know, external regulation, like getting a massage, having someone, you know, help support your nervous system. So really looking at regulating the nervous system, um, which again, I think really goes back to that awareness. So recognizing, like you were saying, if I feel like I need to control food, that, that behavior, or, you know, maybe you're having the experience of like binge eating, or you're having the experience of, um, of, you know, feeling like your body is not good enough beating yourself up, right? 
those patterns are really a sign that there's your nervous system is dysregulated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in survival stress at that point, and that's your attempt at controlling so that you can feel safe. And what we've got to do is go around the side, round the back. I always go go around the go around the other way to resourcing ourselves and calming our nervous systems in different ways. Right, that's what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And so, and not even necessarily in different ways initially, just recognizing like, oh, this is a sign that I am not regulated right now. Okay. So what do I actually need? I need to feel safe. Okay. Well, food aside, like whatever happens with that for now, fine. But how do I feel safe? Um, And so for some people, it's, you know, literally saying like, okay, I'm safe, you know, for some people, sometimes people aren't actually safe. And so that's another thing we have to acknowledge is like the systems of oppression and, you know, marginalization. And um, we've been in a chronic crisis for two years and it hasn't felt safe. And so, okay, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic, or I don't know what's going to happen with the war or, you know, all of these things. How do I uh, insulate myself from, from those things. Like, what do I need in place to feel safe? Sometimes it's boundaries, right? Sometimes it's cocooning a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Getting under the blanket with a hot water bottle right. and doing a bit of a, yeah. Yeah. Like squeezes, body squeezes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So really looking at, um, that, uh, that with curiosity of like, oh, this is this pattern of this behavior is simply a sign that there's something else going on for me. So one of the reasons it's so important to regulate our nervous systems is that um, when we're in that fight or flight mode or where, when we're in shutdown mode, we can't be in the kind of you know window of presence. We can't be in that um, curiosity and compassion mode. And that's really where change happens. That's where mm-hmm. change is possible. So yes. as long as we're in fight or flight or we're in shutdown, it's all gone out the window bye-bye exactly (laughs) and and it's the same as you know the drinking piece right you know this is the same that fight flight reactive attempt to balance you know that faulty you know way of you know maladaptive way of trying to calm our nervous systems Yeah. yeah it's um it's really interesting like so much of my sessions with clients are talking about what's happening with that person, what's going on in their body, really, um, you know, starting to like pause, connect in, slow things down. Where in that process did I, you know, start to feel dysregulated, right? When was my body telling me like, Hey, I don't feel safe. This isn't okay. It's so challenging to recognize those pieces because the way that we felt safe is by disconnecting, right? Mm. And um, so, so fortunately, <laughs> reviewing it in retrospect actually does help change the patterns and bring awareness to what's happening. But, uh, but yeah, I would say number one. So I think you know we started out talking about how to eat intuitively, and uh, and number one is really um, getting curious and and holding you know, holding so much compassion for yourself through the process, which seems the opposite, right? Because diet culture tells us like, you have to fight against your body, you have to control it, you have to manage it. And that's how you're going to feel safe. But you're never going to come to a place of balance or ease through controlling or managing. And do you think then that 
once we are calm and we're regulated is the idea that then we actually know what we need to eat and know mm. when we need to eat. So I have a little bit of a controversial opinion about this because most intuitive eating, um, people trained in intuitive eating would tell you, yeah, you were born an intuitive eater. I actually disagree. So I think that you are born with, most people are born with the hardware that they need to become intuitive eaters. But from the moment, you know, even in utero, probably there's some influence in this, but from the moment we're born, we are you know, having experiences through our caregivers and through our environment that kind of shape our software, right? Mm -hmm. And if you never developed the software, no one ever encouraged you to pay attention to what was happening in your body. Or if it was never safe to do that, you know, if you were in a chaotic home environment, you know, your hunger signals or whatever, pretty low on the on the priority list, we have to be safe first before before eating is prioritized or digestion is prioritized, right? So yeah, so the idea is that once you're regulated, then we can have that curiosity about what's happening and start to build that body attunement or that connection and, and trust with your body. But it's like learning to ride a bike or drive a car. Like it's not, I say it's more like learning to drive a car. It is, there's a steep learning curve. It's a skill that you have to develop. Um, even if you've done some other kind of body, you know, some mindfulness practices and these things that will help you. Um, but specifically tuning into um, the sensations that are present, really learning to allow them and honor them in a world that tells you that your hunger isn't, couldn't, can't be trusted. It's not safe. Um, your appetite is dangerous. We need to diminish it or push it away or, you know, um, I can hear a real gender piece in that. Like, uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, there's always the, the joke of like the teenage boys eating all the food, but the teenage girl, like, yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. you so know, much shame yeah. around it. so much control around. So what, it, I mean, is then, um, part of your work around learning about nutrition as well. So is there a headpiece to it as well as the sort of trauma work and the body work? What, how does that work? Yeah, so, um, so certainly nutrition does play a role in how we feel. But most people already know, generally speaking, like, okay, I feel more vital vitality when I eat more vegetables, right? Mm. Um, so there's a reason that they either aren't eating the vegetables or that they're not feeling satisfied and balanced in their relationship with food. So, um, so yes, one of the principles of intuitive eating, one of the last principles out of the 10 is using gentle nutrition um, and honoring your health. But we have to undo all the conditioning, all the shoulds around it first, all the shame, um, all of those things. And then we can start to explore yeah, how do I actually feel? Um, you know, if I if I eat nachos every night for a week, mm. I'm probably not going to feel amazing, right? But if I have them sometimes, then I might enjoy them and feel, you know, mm. still feel good, right? So we, we start to pay attention to how does my body respond to different foods and get really curious there. Um, but typically, it's it, the, we're focused much more on the relationship with food and the relationship with our body. And learning to really trust mm. what our body is telling us. Um, 
it's interesting how, what you said about that I would would actually like to dive into what you said about um I think you said an attachment wound yeah yeah because I'm, I'm thinking about something that you know that we were talking about she recovers earlier weren't we and you know what I love about that movement and Mama Dawn brilliant it's like the strap line we're all recovering from something right Mm -hmm. and seeing that you know that that this and you know whether it be alcohol what what are all the things you know recovering from all the things and reaching for all the things you know which you know once I had discovered that kind of language of trauma and and realized that what happened to me in my life was trauma because I didn't even know what that was and and you know all all the stuff like that we talk about once I realized that and then got some of that head knowledge on board and did shit ton of yoga and it, it started to make it started to make so much more sense and I could identify what you're talking about I wouldn't have had a I wouldn't have had a clue I didn't have a clue like going back 10 years I really didn't so yeah can you speak to that piece you know let's go there let's talk about that attachment trauma yeah so if if when you were young you were told that you're not good enough there's something wrong with you in in whatever way like either you were actually told you know you're bad some some people's caregivers did that um or whether you were just ignored not valued not seen you know, whether um, you were bullied at school, right? If when you were growing up, you got the message that you are not valuable and worthy of love and respect, you're not, you're not good enough. The, The options are to stay with yourself and be like, everyone out here is wrong. You know, the people that are telling me that are wrong or to disconnect from yourself and be like, okay, you know, caregiver, you're right. There's something wrong with me and I'll try to fix it so that I can be seen as good enough in your eyes. And majority of the time, that's what we do to survive, right? So we, we disconnect from ourselves. We say, yep, there's something wrong with me and my body. And these other people must be right because they're, you know, my caregivers, right? They're my kind of gods, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and my survival is dependent on them, right? So most people do that on some level. And that's where like people pleasing comes from. That's where, um, you know, trying to be like the A student comes from. That's where uh, uh, trying to smooth things over, right? Make, make sure that, you know, um, nobody, like no conflict is happening in the house. That's where all, all of those kinds of behaviors come from. I think it's also where trying to, you know, be skinny, trying to look a certain way, right? This is all, we're all, this, these are all ways that we try to get love and approval from those around us. And so, yeah, if you receive that message that there's something wrong with you, you know, from the time you were very young, that that's going to create an attachment rupture. Uh, You know, what you just said about those as well is so difficult because we get rewarded for all of that. Mm -hmm. And so we can spend an entire life being rewarded for that. And and I actually felt quite emotional when you were talking about that because I, you know, resonate with that. Um, So, yeah. So how do we go around, I guess, yeah, healing that 
those attachment wounds of what you've spoken about in the model I guess is 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 the recovery what we do in recovery and that listening in titrating making things safe for us so that we can reattach is that what you're saying yeah so it's uh part of it is work around dismantling the wiring that there's something wrong with us right so um so that's why I like the book the body's not an apology I love that you know just recognizing like no that it's these systems and it's just these messages right that tell us that there's something wrong with us part of it is the self-forgiveness work so you know maybe you did something that makes you feel like you don't you're not good enough you don't deserve love and respect right um, and it's really confusing because health gets really mixed in with all that diet culture messaging, right? Mm. So we're told like the pursuit of health is like this moral uh, obligation that we need to do. Mm. So dismantling all of that wiring that says that there's something wrong with you as you are. Um, and, and then, yeah, having that, like, um, that process of connecting in with your body, mm learning that it is safe in my body, you know, because if you think your body is bad or mm. there's something wrong with you, you can't be trusted, then, you know, it's not going to feel safe to be in your body. Um, so these are all, you know, these are all kind of uh, very like, it's it's hard because it's not as concrete, right? We're, yeah. we're, we're talking about these kind of like nebulous concepts, but no, but what I've so I was going to say, though, that just on that point about that connection and disconnection, because I know that for me, a real foundational piece was realizing that when I drank alcohol, when I so I'll speak of the present, when I drink alcohol, it causes a disconnect, which echoes the old disconnect and causes a huge amount of shame. And it was so painful. And once I realized that, and I was, and I had done a certain amount of connection work and that self-compassion work. Once I, I, I clicked, it was literally like an electrical impulse. It was like the charge and the charge met, right? And it was like, I'll swear, fuck me, there I am. Okay, I'm here, right? Mm-hmm. And so actually to, that was my last day one, touch with please God and everything. Um, so therefore that disconnect through alcohol is so abhorrent to me now it's like why would I ever do that because I've I've got me I've got her right Mm -hmm. and so I think part of the for me I'm just trying to make sense this part of that you know if it's with food it's that if you are going if you're using food in that way there's a sort of a self there's an abandonment that you're using that rather than to tune in and you're, that, that echoes that disconnect again, because it will be a disconnect from the feelings. It'll echo that wound. And that's where that shame spiral can kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it doesn't feel good. So it's like, okay, that kind of eating doesn't feel good to me because actually it's painful. That's what I'm hearing some sense of this conversation. Yeah. So using food, using alcohol, food, you know, TV, um, shopping, sex, anything to um, soothe, that's actually a form of of, uh, auto regulation. So you're trying to kind of autopilot regulate your nervous system. So it does help you to come down out of that fight or flight. um, But oftentimes, it kind of creates this like going into shutdown. And so it, it actually is a fairly adaptive behavior. But like you said, it, it over time, it really doesn't feel good, because it is um, 
sometimes you need to just like shut down, right? It's like, it's the wrong tool for the job. Right, (laughs) right. So it doesn't help you get those underlying needs met. There's a need happening, right? Like, oh, I need to feel safe. I need to feel supported. I need to feel, um, you know, whatever it is. I need, I need to be regulated here. Right. And then there's an underlying need that's not getting met when we're just soothing using food. Um, and so again, yes, it does create a disconnection, but also, and then the shame is what really makes it, you know, we disconnect even further. Um, so it's actually helpful if we can dismantle the shame and just see it as like, okay, this is just a way that I'm trying to regulate my nervous system, but I'm actually not getting my need met here. And can I slow it down and see what the need is underneath this? Can I, can I connect in? But, but again, we have to remember about that titrating piece. So especially if you're someone who's just taken away alcohol as a way to soothe your nervous system, then you're going to feel intensely, right? And you know, the, the, the body's gonna be very agitated because alcohol is a depressant. So you've been depressing your nervous system and now it's like super agitated, right? Yeah. Um, and so if we take away the behavior of using food to soothe or if we try to control or manage that, then it's even more, you know, we're feeling things even more intensely and, and all of that. So instead looking at it as, oh, this is a sign that there's something more going on for me. Can I start to dip my toe in feeling what's happening in my body, recognizing what's really present? What do I actually need here? You know, can we bring that awareness in, in a way that does feel safe? Yeah. Yeah. So seeing it more as a sign that there's something going on than a problem. And if we can, we can let go of the shame separate from the behavior, because the, the messaging that there's something wrong with you, if you eat a bunch of cookies um, is that's all diet culture, right? Like mm. it's just, it's nothing wrong with you for doing that. It's simply trying to cope. Right. Mm. So letting go of the judgment around it, getting really curious and trying to, uh, work through that shame spiral. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. 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 And, and to just bring that back to people, you know, I see it a lot on soap forums and I, I think I was similar actually, when I first stopped, it was this, was somehow tied in with this sort of performative it's like right I've quit booze I'm going to be really great I'm going to be really good about my diet I'm going to look like literally you know a supermodel in three weeks it was it was very much it was a very surface kind of and performative you know seat sewn together with all of that and I'm and I really strongly feel like like you said that titration piece you know if you're just if alcohol is the thing and you've, you know, you've quit booze, like don't, don't go hard. Don't think you could, don't enter that diet culture, you know, just like you might. I mean, I know that I hit the Haribo in a really big way for about a month. And then it was like, oh, okay, I'm going to watch telly and I'm just going to have a cup of decaf Earl Grey and I don't, I don't need the Haribo so much, but I couldn't have done it all at once. I just couldn't. I had to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So like you're saying, there's this like performative con like uh, thing. And I think it's because we so desperately want to feel better that we, you know, we think it needs to look a certain way. And once we have it look a certain way, once we're thin and we're eating, you know, only salad and we're, you know, like doing everything right, then everything's going to be okay. And that's that control manage piece. 
instead really focusing in on, you know, the relationship with ourselves. And so there's certainly some things people can do in terms of the gentle nutrition and the like, especially in early recovery, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people are going to be kind of nutrient deficient at that point. You know, your gut bacteria is going to be all off usually from drinking a lot of, you know, wine or whatever it is and not having a lot of like actual food in your body. (laughs) So, yeah. So if you're really wanting to care for yourself, it's, it's really looking at like, what would be nurturing in this moment? And so that means like eating, feeding yourself consistently and well, right? Like eating meals, doing whatever you need to do to get, um, you know, to get those nutrients in, add things in. Add things in, with, yeah, rather than take yeah. things out. Mm. Right, rather than focusing in on, I'm never going to eat, you know, sugar or I'm never going to eat anything white again or, you know, like some of the some <laughs> of the programs out there are so like uh, arbitrary but super restrictive, right? And so instead, like, oh, am I actually eating, you know, every four hours, uh, you know, or when I, because you may not even realize, you may not even feel your hunger signals at, at early recovery, especially, but if you've been disconnected from your body, you might not feel your fullness signals. So focusing in on like, okay, am I just like eating consistently? Am I getting protein and carbs and fat and fiber in my diet? You know, am I, how do I actually put in some vegetables here? <laughs> you know, am I sleeping well? Am I giving myself that downtime in the evening? You know, am I letting myself just like heal because, um, being, you know, going through recovery from alcohol and substances is so like your body is going through a lot. Um, and so we need to give ourselves that. Yeah. And I remember someone saying, um, about, you know, treating it as almost like a pregnancy. That's a good Mm -hmm. thing. It's like, you know, just really early <laughs> like this is your time for some real get some self-care on board like how would you treat yourself if you're pregnant like make sure I got the nutrition the rest took things off my plate lowered my expectations of myself you know just like it's like no who's queen you're queen you just need to put yourself first and I found that a very useful analogy because it's one of those times one of those few times as, as women that we do have that permission to just prioritize our well-being and our self-care you know that's some uh, yeah sort of um a reference point that that people can kind of relate to you know when they have lots of stories about how they shouldn't and how they don't deserve you know um yeah the deserve piece is so huge I mean that's if you don't feel like you deserve to you know, care, take care of yourself, right. To take that time. If other, everything else is a priority over you, it's going to be really hard to prioritize that nurturance, that's building safety, connecting with your body, you know, listening to the signals because yeah, if I don't deserve it, like everything else is going to come first. And so Mm. that's kind of going back to that relationship with yourself piece of, yeah. um, I think sometimes it happens from outside in, doesn't it? It's sort of inside out and outside in. Because I think for me, it was like, okay, sober treats. I deserve, like I I couldn't get to the self-compassion piece for probably about a year and a half. But I was like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, fresh blouse or I'm going to get myself a new lipstick. At the same time, what was happening internally was like, I realised that I didn't know when I needed to go to the toilet, for example. I was like, Mm. oh, I need to go for a wee now. And not let and then act on it like not let it build up 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 until I'm absolutely bursting and it was like 
that's that interoception, I guess, and that sort of feeling inside the body of what's going on and not waving away the red flags so that your mm. container gets like physically my bladder, no, but my container, stress container got so full. So there's a real sort of outside in, inside out, gentle kind of allowing, which did take time. Like it took a lot of time. I won't lie. Right, right. And we want this, like, again, we want the, like, control manage, you know, we want, we're so preoccupied on it, we want to fix it, because it doesn't feel good. And because that's what our culture says, is like, you know, you should always be fixing instead of really just like healing. Um, If you think about, you know, the process of like a a bruise healing or a wound healing, there's stages, it takes time, the body kind of does what it's going to do. But then in the end, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I had that injury. And now I'm kind of, you know, and I feel great now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what, um, what kind of plans have you got coming up? What's, what's on the agenda next for you? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure when this will be published, but I'm going to be going to She Recovers in Miami. I'm going to uh, see you there. Then I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's so exciting. Going. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to meet up with some friends in the Keys. Well, first I'm going to go out and see, um, I have an uncle who's, who's not doing well in Baltimore. And so my mom and I are flying there and then I'll be in, in Atlanta visiting some family, the Keys and then Miami. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then when I come home, um, you know, I'll be finishing up renovations here in my home and um, really settling it. I'm writing, I'm actually writing a book about the food attachment model. Nice. And um, so that's, you know, we're about, about the halfway mark and getting ready to submit to some publishers. And um, so that'll really be my focus next. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, <sighs> Yeah, it's really a beautiful time in my life, but there's so much going on. Uh, but this book is something I feel super passionately about and looking at it from a different perspective of healing that attachment piece, uh, the attachment piece with yourself and with your body and with food, instead of, you know, here's a list of things you should, shouldn't eat <laughs> and, you know, setting people up for feeling like failure. Um, yeah. So anyway, so that's what I'll be focusing on next. That's what's coming up for me. That's amazing. So um, I'm just aware of the time I could speak to you forever because it's absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening in will, will resonate, probably have more questions. So we'll obviously put your, uh, you know, your contact details below and the things that you've referenced um, as well. Um, you know, super, super interesting. Um, so we just finish off with what's your your tip of the day and your reason to love sober today? Mm, okay, that's my tip of the day. I would say when it comes to your relationship with food, you're speaking to this. There's there's so much noise out there, and so you know when considering what to do or how to how to address it, you know, really looking at what is the most what would the most nurturing thing be in this moment? And sometimes it really is just like laying on the couch with a bag of cookies, right? <laughs> but it's also like, am I, am I caring for myself in a nurturing way? And really keeping that, uh, that curiosity around it, um, a curiosity and compassion around mm. where am I at right now? What do I actually need? And how can I support myself um, through this? 
Yeah. And sometimes it's even like, just don't worry about your, you know, you're in the middle of moving or you're brand new getting sober, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I can just let this go for now. That doesn't mean I'm going to forever let it go, you know? Um, Yeah. 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 And what's your reason to, yeah, love so being sober? Oh, (laughs) I love that question. I've been really obsessed with this uh, song I heard actually on the She Recovers dance called um, by Tony Jones called Healing is Not My Purpose. And so I just want to, even though I'm saying like, yeah, let's focus on healing our relationship with food and our body. Keeping in mind, we, and, and in the song, Tony Jones says, my purpose is to satisfy my soul. And so keeping in mind, like we're doing this healing work so that we can then go out and, you know, really have a life that's satisfying and joyful and that, you know, is fulfilling to us. And so keeping that, that in mind, um, that would be my purpose right now for loving sober. Like I, I, it's, it's so that I can live a life that's satisfying to my soul. Mm, oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk to you, Tiffany. It's really great. Thank you for coming on. Um, and if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, do reach out, get in touch with one of the sober forums, send up a flare to us, uh, info. Sorry, I always say info. Hello at lovesober.com. Um, yeah, and just realize that you know you're not alone. There's lots of stuff out there to help you. And uh, we will see you next week for more chat.